This episode of Guitar Radio Show is brought to you in part by... Hey everybody, Mark David from Guitar Radio Show. Have you heard about LockKnob? LockKnob.com? LockKnob is a revolutionary product invented by a musician for musicians solving the long-time problem of lost settings. How many times have you been at a gig or a session only to have to reset all of your settings on your amp or your pedals because they move during transit? You can upgrade your existing knobs on your amp, pedals, mixer, guitar, almost anything with a pot with an all-aluminum quality made reusable knob that does more than just look pretty. Never lose your settings again. Lock it down with LockKnob. Go to LockKnob.com for more. Welcome to Guitar Radio Show, the show dedicated to the guitar player, guitar maker, gear builder, and purveyors of such items that you may not know about, but should. Here's your host, Mark Davin. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 129 of Guitar Radio Show. Uh, we got a great one today, man. Um, this is an Austin, Texas legend. Mr. Van Wilkes is with us today, and he's got a new record out. It's called 21st Century Blues. And uh, it's great. He's got a bunch of folks on there joining him. And his guitar playing and his voice, um, he has found a, a, such a great way of blending blues and rock together that is just honest, mean, and nasty. So good. And uh, he's got a show. Uh, this air this airs on the 22nd, on June 22nd. On the 24th, I believe he has a show. Uh, here in Austin, uh, I'll mention that later on in the show. So uh, to remind you, so if you're in the Austin area, go check out Van Wilkes. I highly recommend it. I've seen him, well, I think at least a half a dozen times, maybe more, and he never disappoints. I mean, just he's a real tone monster. It's so great, so great. So we've got that coming up today, and we're excited to bring it to you. Um, want to remind you, GuitarRadioShow.com, GuitarRadioShow at gmail.com for all those needs. I uh, wanted to let you know right now on GuitarRadioShow.com on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, we've got the latest uh, edition of Mr. Scott Gaylor's Tips, Tricks, and Licks, number four. It's Rut Buster. You in a rut? He's got some great tips to show you how to get out of that. And think outside the box. That's what Scott's all about, getting you to think outside the box and get you get you practicing. Because the more you practice, the better you're going to get. It's just the way it is. You know? um, so check that out. And if you want more on Scott, go to scottgaylor.com for sure. Um, want to remind you, tomorrow, Thursday, we've got another installment from Mr. Adam Hunt, 500 Words with Adam P. Hunt on Harvey Thomas Guitars. Once again, Adam does it again. I did not know about Harvey Thomas guitars. Turn me on to this. Super cool, quirky, weird, really cool. So uh, that's tomorrow on GuitarRadioShow.com and on um, on our Facebook page as well. Uh, if you're listening to this episode and it's way past when we actually aired it, um, you can always go to GuitarRadioShow.com, type in Adam P. Hunt, and you can find all of his blogs. Type in uh, Scott Gaylor, and you can find all of Scott's tips, tricks, and licks, plus the uh, feature interviews that we've done with Scott uh, and his new record, his latest record, I should say, Technicolor Monochrome. Um, so, and what else I want to mention? Oh, yeah, we're doing a giveaway. We're giving away a cool pedal. It's a double uh, double assault pedal, <laughs> I like to call it. It's a clean boost and a dirty boost, and it's, it's killer. It's by Midnight 30 Music. Uh, guitar effects pedals and it's the Adam Lopez special and this is in celebration of the episode that we did last week with Adam and uh, he's got a new record out it's called Heartaches Time Takes and uh, I've got three copies to give away you interested? go to guitarradioshow.com go to the contact GRS tab and say hey give me Adam's record put that in the comment box hey give me Adam's record and uh, the first three people that uh, that ask for it they'll get it uh, in regards to the pedal give it away, same thing, guitarradioshow.com, go to the contact GRS tab, put in heartaches, time takes, hit submit, and you're automatically entered to win that pedal. Um, I'm going to be putting up uh, an e- a, uh, actually, if you go back to Adam's post, Adam's uh, uh, episode, which was episode 128, um, uh, you'll be able to see a snort, sh- snort. 
a short video, uh, a demo of that pedal. Uh, we're using a, uh, a Fender Strat on that through a boogie. So you can check that out. I wanted to let you know that um, next week we've got Marco Mendoza, who has played with Thin Lizzy and, oh God, tons and tons of people. And, and he's an amazing bass player. He's got a great story. And this is one of the greatest interviews I've ever done because it's hysterical. He is one of the busiest guys. I mean, he makes James Brown look like a, like a lazy guy. He's so busy in this business. Uh, and he's in a new he's in a new band with uh, Doug Aldridge and uh, and uh, John Karabi, my favorite Motley Crue singer. And uh, so that interview is going to you're going to love. And also we've got uh, Mr. Rob Robert Tillery from the band Bent. So we've got a heavy episode coming up on the next uh, episode of Guitar Radio Show. And then July and August, are you ready? Oh my God, July and we got David Grissom, we've got Marcus King. From the Marcus King Band, Mr. Paul Nelson, Chris Duarte returns with his with his latest uh, fan inspired record, and uh, and from Guitar Player Magazine, editor in chief, Mr. Michael Melinda, and we had a really cool conversation. That was a blast. So we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up for uh, for the rest of the summer for all y'all, and uh, I think you're going to dig it. In the meantime, I want to turn you on to uh, a track from Van Wilk's latest record. It's called 20, 21st Century Blues. I love this record. It, it's right there with all the other cool records I've got for the summer to listen to. Uh, oh, by the way, in August, Gary Hoey coming back. He's got a new record out. It's called Dust and Bones. And uh, we did an interview just the other day, and uh, you're going to love it. Tons of cool stuff coming. You're going to love it. Here we go. You ready? We're going to check out some uh, a track from the from uh, 21st Century Blues and then get right into the interview with Van Wilkes. Here we go. Guitar Radio Show. GuitarRadioShow.com. Folks, my next guest is a Texas Music Hall of Famer. He has been voted Best Electric and Acoustic Guitarist in the Blues category four years in a row in the Austin Chronicle. It's the only paper to read in Austin, by the way. And uh, Billy F. Gibbons, he he says that his technique is remarkable, and he is well-loved by all his friends and uh, compatriots. We have Mr. Van Wilkes on Guitar Radio Show. How are you, Van? Hey, doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on, Mark. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for being on, man. Um, I've seen you play a bunch of times. I, I've seen you at the Saxon. Um, when else did I see you? I saw you at Thread Gills. And I've, oh, good. And I, yeah. Did I see you? I think I might have seen you at a jam night at Antone, the old Antones. Maybe the old Antones. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Very possible. Yeah. I mean, I've been playing in Austin since '71, so right. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of been around for a yeah, while. Yeah, and how does how does how does a boy born in Galveston find the blues and boogie rock and roll like you did? I don't know. I think probably it just hit me over the head one day and put me in a coma, and there it went. <laughs> I don't know. I was born in Galveston, but we moved quickly. To, uh, Brownwood and then after that Lubbock and I started playing guitar in Lubbock when the Beatles hit so about 64 uh-huh. I, you know just like everybody did like, and we played mostly surf music and instrumentals and copied everybody we could find and then uh, I've always thought that once you start this path I mean it, it kind of you don't do it it does it to you so like you start playing guitar and it's fun mm-hmm. and your friends are doing it yeah. And then it becomes an obsession. Yeah. And then it becomes a business. And then 
and then things get messed up. <laughs> so what I've, I've found, you've got to get back to making sure you keep that mystery and that fun aspect in there and not let the business take over because unfortunately I've seen people just quit doing stuff they love just mm-hmm. because they didn't make it. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's sad. I think you need to keep that passion mm-hmm. uh, of that first time you learned an E minor chord or something, mm-hmm. you know, or you were able to play along with the Beatle record or a Ventures record. Mm-hmm. And that's what's kept me alive, just the joy of playing guitar and experimenting and, and uh, still searching for that tone, which is very frustrating, of course. Like it is to all guitar players, are always looking for that the ultimate tone. Yeah, it, it, it's it's quite a journey, you know, and, and it, it's uh, got its ups and downs, of course, like anything would. But it's music, and uh, long as you don't take it, I mean, you take it seriously, but you can't let it rule everything. Yeah. And, and uh, but uh, yeah, I've been fortunate to have have a, uh, just keep playing all my life. It's all I've ever done, and. Uh, and uh, because it's a passion, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but, but I've done it anyway. Yeah, well, I, I, I have very supportive parents. That uh, my daddy owned a, a clothing store, a Wilkes department store in Brownwood, and uh, they knew. I mean, he wanted, of course, he wanted me in the business, but he knew that this was my passion, and uh, there was never anything like you. You have to work here. You, I mean, I'm really lucky that I had parents that, that saw how this had grabbed hold of me and wasn't going to let go. And uh, it wasn't just a fly-by-night thing. And, and uh, I mean, they didn't bankroll me, but, you know, they they supported it. And mentally, that was... Uh, now that they're gone, I, I see how important it, it was. They And before they died, they, they saw a few awards and little things that would make a parent proud. You know, right. to lose your music career. But, but I mean, like, t- the Texas state government flew a flag over the Capitol and honor and there's a Van Wilkes Day in Austin and, and uh, uh, from the House of Representatives a plaque saying uh, music ambassador to the state of Texas you know that kind of stuff that, that a parent could go well okay I guess it's alright for my son to be at bars all the time <laughs> you know if the government says it's okay then okay <laughs> we're, we're saying it's okay that kind of thing because you know they obviously come from a different time yeah you know, and uh, I was the first to, and our, I had some cousins that played and uncles that played that really got me into it. But but anyway, I, I give a lot of credit to my parents for uh, just, not, I don't want to say getting out of the way, but uh, but just letting me find my way for good or for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you're, you're so right, too, about that. You know, the support of, the support of family. In, in 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 any in any endeavor is important, but for, for for family to take a leap of faith along with you for something as risky as the music business, that's that is yeah, pretty special. I, I've seen little kids because I teach guitar, and I've seen parents that that use guitar lessons as a daycare center more than anything else. And mm-hmm. I've seen parents be so supportive and make their kid think that they're the best thing that ever happened. Uh, you know, kind of go overboard, and then the kid's going to find out that around every corner there's somebody that can smoke him under the table. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've seen it both ways. Then, I, then I've seen wives and girlfriends just destroy uh, their spouse, or you know, their their girlfriend, or their whatever the other musician was. You know, by not understanding what that person does, and, and not understanding when the person wants to go in his room and play guitar for four hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, right, and that you know, uh, I've seen people uh, just lunacy things like not supporting the person that loves her, you know. So anyway, it's crazy. So I, I feel lucky that I, I uh, have been able to have support for just doing this little journey. Yeah, well, it's it's. Uh, I'm glad you did. <laughs> I'm glad you had that. <laughs> um, now you know it's so interesting, you know, because. Living here in Austin, and I've you know, and before that, coming here since 1989, and and always soaking up everything Austin. With all the guitar players in Austin, you know, how does that feel for you? That four years in a row, the Chronicle says you're it. Well, let me uh, clarify that I, I won Best Guitar, Acoustic, and Electric one year which was uh, in 2008 and nine. Mm-hmm. Now, we did win Best Rock and Hard Rock Band four years in a row in the 80s. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then they, then I was in one of their first Hall of Fames. Mm-hmm. But as far as winning best electric guitarist and best acoustic four years in a row, what I'm proud of more than anything is just that I've placed. You know, it doesn't make or break your career to be in the Chronicle. No, you know? no, not at all. Uh, uh, but it is nice to be in there with such great talent. Uh, so I'm I'm glad when you know like the joke is I'm just happy for the nomination you know that yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I will tell you this though one year the Chronicle they've always had convoluted uh, categories like hard rock slash heavy metal we won one year <laughs> and so I, when I'd send that out to clubs around everywhere they go well we don't really do heavy metal here so I'd have to backpedal and say well. I don't know, you know, blah, 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 blah. So uh, labels and monikers and the way the press might perceive you can sometimes put you in an awkward position. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, like I had a little bit of concern about naming my new album 21st Century Blues simply because it is not a blues shuffle album. Mm-hmm. But it is my kind of blues, and it's mm-hmm. 21st century now. So to me, it made sense. Other people said, "Man, I think you're going to back yourself into a corner there." Or when it comes out, people are going to go, "Well, you're a fraud. That's not Jimmy Reed. That's not blues." <laughs> and Austin was kind of that way in the 70s when we were always a rock band uh, with blues influences, of course, and uh, and the blues purists in town kind of snubbed their nose at us, you know, in the early 70s. It, it was a little bit more cliquish then, and mm-hmm. I bet it is now to some groups. I bet if I was, you know, young, just starting out here, I bet I'd see some uh, push-off from other groups of people. Like, well, you know, I, I don't play the Continental Club because it's it's more of a rootsy place. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to in the 80s with do New Year's Eve there. But, uh, so there's still... Uh, bastions of you know that I don't know let me backpedal here you can't blame a club for having wanting to have a certain mindset and sound you know and and Antones I don't know if we could really play Antones I'm friends with Susan uh, but we're pretty hard driving blues rock well you know if if Doyle Brownell can play there you can play there yeah well he's got a little legacy with his dad and, and he's really great uh, yeah, well, we still do blues, but I thought it was funny when uh, Stevie started making it big doing Food of a Child. I was going, well, is that blues? I mean, to me it is. It's blues-based. Mm-hmm. But for the purists, you know, like, uh, oh, that's not a shuffle. No. But but Stevie really turned it around and, and made it his own, too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean... So I guess what I'm saying, there's no rules. And uh, and we I try not to put a, a genre or a... Uh, uh, put labels on things like I was told by a, a really great engineer once that he thought I said well I've got this kind of song it's kind of pop and this one's kind of rock and, well here's a blues song he said well that doesn't matter because the commonality and the thread that holds your music or that would hold an album together of mine is the guitar playing mm-hmm. so so, and I, I really took that to heart and I really thought okay well maybe maybe writing these different kinds of songs. I mean, I consider myself a songwriter uh, of some kind. I don't know what it is. I'll write a, an acoustic song one day, then a flat-out bar band blues song, and I like them all. But you do need to have a... An artist does need to have a, uh, you know, a, a, a sound and a, and a feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought this new 21st Century Blues was a little uh, widespread... But the reviews I've been getting, they're, they're going, okay, great. It goes from a ZZ Top sounding song that I wrote with Billy, and then it goes into this ballad thing. And mm-hmm. then, so, so you never know when you throw something out there, what's, what's going to bite. Jump on it if anybody. Yeah, but you, know? you, but you know what though? I mean, I, I mean, I, I know your early stuff too, and, and I have your, um, your, uh, Live and Loud in Austin record. And there's right. there's a common thread through all of that, right up through 21st century blues. Well, uh, great. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it's you. You know, it's you. Yeah, I was with a, a real well known promoter in the <clears throat> late 70s, and I wasn't an ACDC fan then. And they were playing the Opera House, which mm-hmm. was a relatively a real small venue for what ACDC would do now. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, 
fact, a drummer was at my house that day, and I didn't know who he was. I said, oh, you're in a band? Great. <laughs> but uh, I asked the promoter, I'm like, man, how, how, how come these guys are, are uh, you know, every song kind of sounds the same? Which at that time, I didn't think was an attribute. He said, well, because the audience knows what they're going to get from that first note to the last. Mm. And, and they dig it. Mm. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Like, because I was brought up like the Beatles would do uh, an acoustic song, then a Chuck Berry song, and then all this different kinds of stuff. But then again, that's the Beatles. Yeah. So, so they could do it. But so I like this uh, concept of, uh, you know, this is your sound. This is what you do. And I hope you like it. Let's go. Yeah. So when you when you first got to Austin and you started that uh, there was a band you were in called Fools. Yeah. So what? Well, we were. I was in San Marcos and Wimberley before that, and we had little bands, uh, Glory, and you know, uh, you know, Almond Brothers stuff. But, mm-hmm. but uh, we had a band called Cottonmouth, and then somebody suggested changing it to Fools, and I went, like, I don't like that. But we all laughed and went, okay. And then we started getting some notoriety, and that's when. Tommy Shannon was playing around town with Cracker Jack and then he mm-hmm. for some reason that broke up and he'd just been with Johnny Winter and he liked my style of three piece rock so uh, we started Fools and we were there was a magazine called Austin Sun which was the precursor to the Austin Chronicle and we were like band of the year in 76 and we opened the Sunday break in May of 76 in front of 50,000 people for uh it was Peter Frampton when he was at his peak. Mm-hmm. And Frampton, Santana. And so we were doing great shows, and I, I just signed with Bill Ham, the ZZ Top Manager. We were on the road a whole lot, all over the country, you know, opening act for all kinds of bands. Mm-hmm. And I would do the Armadillo, and thank God for the Armadillo back then. That's where we learned how to get on a big stage. Yeah with a backdrop and thought we were doing a big show you know yeah. it, it, was, it was nice though because we were in our early 20s yeah so uh, I don't know of a big place now that a, a band that's not well known could play and learn how to you know there's plenty of clubs sure oh this yeah a real a real big auditorium and you know anyway things change and you have to change with them or you don't survive yeah for sure um, I've always said I've survived all the fads in Austin because <laughs> there was the uh, Cosmic Cowboy Scare, we called it, in the 70s. What was that? And uh, the Cosmic c- c- Cowboy Movement. Uh, you know, all the singer-songwriter, Jerry Jeff. And, oh, okay. And, and they were great music. It was just we were hard rock, and that all of a sudden became really popular, and it still is. And, the, you know, the country rock kind of stuff. Yeah. But Time Magazine called it Cosmic Cowboy stuff because, you know, Willie and all that stuff. Yeah. Which was great. I loved it. But it started getting, uh, the music kind of got disparate, uh, you know, groups of, well, if you're not that, you're not cool. And, but Willie kind of changed that at the Armadillo when he could go in there and play country music to hippies, and that was cool. Yeah. And then the punk scene hit, and we had to fight that. Not fight it, but we had to just make sure we survived. But there, there's always, uh, it seems like there's enough to go around. You know, you got a punk scene back then, you got a, we've always been, pretty much blues rock and I don't know if that's good or bad but we've done just do what we do well yeah and and you know when you hear songs like Memphis Turnaround and and uh, and Stone Cold Day you know that's I mean that's kick ass blues rock you know what I mean good I'm glad you say that because I think it is but you know you know you never know what 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 the listener is going to perceive it as you know so well you know i think that's the thing I, you know i've always been a, i've always been a, uh, uh, of the mind that rule one is there are no rules you right know? exactly <laughs> yeah it's, it's just music like, yeah just go for yeah. it and, and hope it sticks hope, hope it resonates with somebody that's right it's a big actually old... with a bunch of people right <laughs> that's what we want and now we're living in this time that i never thought you know we couldn't perceive of the music business as it is today in the 70s, you know, it's mm-hmm. one of the and 80s and mm-hmm. early 90s. Yeah. And now even CDs are going away, yeah. you know, pretty soon. And downloads are going away. It's going to be just streaming yeah. before too long. And then it, I remember when uh, cassettes came out, I go, what is that? And my first album, <laughs> Bombay Tears, came out on cassette and eight track. 
got an eight track sitting here in my studio. I mean, <laughs> who, who would think that a CD, you know, and every time something new came out, yeah, we've got to fight it. Now I'm just glad that vinyl is coming back a little bit, well, yeah. quite a bit, and, yeah. uh, and we'll see. Uh, who knows what the future holds for musicians? It is nice that you can do an album like in your living room now, yeah. You know? And uh, I would still prefer tape, but who can afford tape? Yeah, you know, a reel of tape is ungodly expensive. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyway, I guess the point is, you just uh, go with the times. You can't control it. No, you got to roll with it. it. You got to roll with it. Yeah, absolutely. You got to adapt or die. One of the right. Or or quit and and work at Western Auto. Right. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I just don't. There's a lot wrong with quitting if you love what you do. But right. uh, you just got to find your niche, and that's what we've always been looking for. Is just want our little little place in the music world, yeah. you know, and hope that we can can have it. Yeah. You know? How cool! How cool would it be? And it's funny. I've had Tommy on the show. How cool would it be for you and Tommy to play together again? That would be really cool. Well, I'd love it. He just came to my birthday gig last Saturday. Oh, cool. At Threadgills, and he played. Yeah. Played a couple of tunes, and yeah, we're always talking and uh, reliving mentally, you know, with jokes, our our storied past, and, you know, so Tommy's a survivor. It's, It's great how he's gone from one thing to another. When he joined me in 74 or so, he just played... Well, before the few years before Woodstock and Albert Hall, right? Jammed with Johnny Winter. I mean, <laughs> jammed with Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, he's starting all over with me. And then, then uh, after a couple of years, he we both moved on in different directions. And then all of a sudden, he surfaces with Stevie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> biggest thing he ever did. So yeah, oh yeah. It, it's really cool the way he's continued to. Uh, pop up like a crop every year yeah. he's, he's back <laughs> he's back let's harvest him <laughs> so yeah uh, you know he's doing that thing at Antone's which yeah. is great yeah. and um, I've been going down there to see him and probably will tomorrow night I think it's tomorrow I'm yeah sure. it's tomorrow night yeah um, so let's talk about this record I I, uh, I have some favorite tracks on the record um, wonderful and I'm always curious yeah, the the opening track I thought it was a great way to open the record, and it's uh, it's called Strange Girl. Good. Yeah. Now, was, was that one of the ones that was recorded in Dripping, or was that recorded in France? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We only did a few things in France because of limited time. I just finished a tour, and uh, a friend of mine, well, a guy that I'd known for a long time but never hung out with, says, said, I, I I've got this studio outside of Paris, about thirty kilometers, and. Uh, and I went, yeah, cool, sure. And then uh, I called him up. He said, well, come on out. And uh, so I had the engineer send send some tracks from Texas. And uh, and it turned out to be uh, the 17th century farm hmm. in a little town. And, uh, and it was the coolest farmhouse I've ever seen. It was like a little fortress and a, and a church next door from 1300 and in a place under the fireplace that they hid the Jews in World War Two, and my God, the feel of this reminded me of where you hear about Led Zeppelin rec- recording in Wales or wherever it was, mm-hmm. that old farmhouse, mm-hmm. and it had such a vibe. And he's got it set up where you can come in for a couple of weeks at a time. And there's a chef, and you can record. But all I did was just some vocal and a little bit of acoustic. There's a song called Gold Digger that I did at his place uh, acoustically, which I don't know what I'll ever do with. But, but uh, I don't know. It was just a magic place. So I, I certainly plan to go back That's and, and do, do something serious there. I mean, not that this wasn't serious, but I mean, spend some time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's always, for me, good to get out of your normal environment and be thrown into a strange place. And this is a strange, mystical place, too. And, uh, I just like the vibe of it. Well, you would too, thought, you know. Um, being, being in a uh, being in a, in a different place also probably there's no less distractions and you can really concentrate on what you're doing. Yeah, you know, right? exactly. Yeah. But there's a lot to say for distractions of the right kind. And <laughs> I don't know 
I don't know what that means, but, <laughs> but you know, you can get the, the recording process can get awfully boring and tedious. Yeah. And, and I'm the, I can't sit for long. I, you know, I'm always needing to do something. That's why I was glad for Chet Himes to be at the, in the wheelhouse again, because he, uh, he can just sit there for hours doing his job. Mm-hmm. And I, I get real antsy, like, okay, let's move. Let's go. What are we doing now? What's going on? <laughs> I'm ready. You know, just, uh, it, it's hard just to sit still and it uh, takes a lot of patience. So, but yeah, we, we were out in Dripping Springs at a, at a private studio for a year or so. And it's really nice out there. Just yeah. absolutely nothing but wild animals. Yeah. Beauty. Yeah, for sure. And um, so, tell me about that song, "Strange Girl." What was that all about? Okay. Well, I wrote it initially, and uh, I'm always looking back in my catalog, and I it was a leftover song in in the '80s, and I didn't think much of it, and then I brought it out. You know, we'd done a demo of it in '89 or no, probably nine in the early '90s, and it to me was more of a uh, pop rock song the original mm-hmm. version and, and so we just started what I call messing it up and uh, uh, and and I did a lot of the guitar tracks here in my little cottage where I teach here in South Austin mm-hmm. and uh, uh, a lot of the overdubs anyway and and so I just went in uh, with a, a click track and, and some garage band uh Tracks, which I, the way I did a lot of it, and then I had guys come in and play over what I'd already done. Mm-hmm. So it was one of the ones that, that was done that way instead of all the band together. Well, that's cool, and I would you would never know it by hearing it. It sounds like everybody's almost like sounds like everybody's. Yeah, in the room. well, you know, you pick good people that can do that, and, and once you got the click down and they know the tempo and the feel, and mm-hmm. you get the right person for the right song. And I used a lot of guitars one. One cool guitar that I just, uh, I've always had in my arsenal, but used live, it's a Fender VG Strat. I don't know if they make them anymore, but it's a modeling guitar where it's got a knob on it that'll tune it automatically to an open mm-hmm. uh, D and A and, and uh, baritone and, and uh, 12 string, which doesn't sound like a 12 string, but... But I actually on Strange Girl I used the twelve string setting on it, so it gave it this little twang and a little little uh, sheen. Uh, I'd have to go through my nose to see all the guitars I, I used on, but I like to do that process where you not just to see how many guitars you can do, but do different amps, different mics, mm-hmm. and then blend them all together into one giant sound. Right. And as long as you don't go overboard on that and just you know get too much stuff going on but I like to double parts uh, doing the same exact part again because you can usually never get it exact and that gives it a little push pull left yeah. right chorusing effect absolutely yeah and I, I just love that sound and, and uh, some of the rhythm tracks on this record I like so much that uh, I wanted just to keep those but we needed some more color Mm-hmm. It, you know, so without a piano or another guitar, but but it just the initial tracks just sounded big and full, just like they were. And actually, with Gold Digger and some of the others, we we pretty much left them alone. But, but I'm glad you like Strange Girl. Yeah, we used to do it uh, for a short time, and whatever band I had in the late '80s, I think. And uh, so I just listened to it one day, looking for songs, and went, oh. Well, let's play around with that one. That's pretty same way with Same way with Drive-By Lover. It, it was really weird. I, Billy and I were sitting at my Elizabeth Street house off of Congress in early, I think, I think early 80s. And we both had guitars, and I had a little Sony Walkman cassette running. And so there were like 15 or 20 vignettes of little pieces, like 30 seconds, 40 seconds, some with the guitar plugged in, some not. And I, years later, I decided to put it on my Mac just to, you know, take it off the cassette and save it. And then one one day, about three years ago, Billy says at dinner, "Hey, remember that Drive By Lover song?" I said, "Yeah." So 
said, I need a song for the new ZZ record. And I went, oh, okay. Uh, let me see if I can find it. And so I did. And there, I sent him the, the ideas that we did that night that I, that I thought were viable. And he called back in a few hours and had a ZZ track. <laughs> and, uh, and then Dusty ended up singing it on the record. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because your version, your version is is really different. Yeah, I mean, why I try to be easy? I mean, it still is easy because Billy co-wrote it. But right. but he called me back and said, write some lyrics. So I just turned out some bar band kind of sleazy rock lyrics. You know, <laughs> nothing, nothing of introspective, change your life, you know, kind of change the world lyrics. And they weren't meant to be, you know. It's just right. a rock song. And... Uh, so I'm real proud that ZZ did it. They they ended up using it on a Best Buy record as a bonus track, yeah. which kind of bummed me. But then I think it might. I know it's available on all the anywhere you want to go to get it. But but it's not on there a vinyl, and it's not on a. I don't know if they've added it to their other CD or not yet. But anyway, just the fact to have a have a cut on a ZZ record. So. Of course, I wanted to do it for for me, and so Billy came out to the studio, and we worked on it for about eight hours. He, uh, you know, I, I did a different intro, of course, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and he coached me on the vocals and a little bit of guitar, but he just wanted me to to be my myself, you know, yeah. on it, and, uh, and I sound like him anyway. So, <laughs> so what the hell. <laughs> Yeah, one time I told him, I said, I'm getting people, I'm getting tired of people telling me I sound like you. And he leaned over and pulled his glasses down and looked at me and said, what's wrong with that? <laughs> so, uh, uh, so you know, I don't mind it anymore because we all sound like somebody. Billy and I do have the same uh, influences in Peter Green and, yeah. you know, all, all those guys. So it's hard not to sound like him. Plus, I admire his playing. So, yeah, well, he's, he's it's it's a natural thing. Yeah, well, you know, here's the difference I think between between the two of you. He's he's an economist, uh, as, yeah. You know, and and you've got this big round sound. Where right. you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's, it does, and I appreciate that. Yeah, that's what I hear. Because I, I don't mind sounding like Billy because that's a good person to sound like. Mm-hmm. But I think I've got a little bit more Beck and Hendrix and. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got to say you sound like somebody, well, okay, yeah, I sound like who I grew up with, and I'm proud of it. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like I like being accessible. I, I'd like to be. Sometimes I think, well, I wish I could play like Eric or Johnson or or some of these shredder guys, but I can't. And 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 then it comes back with me personally. I'd rather. I think my playing is more accessible. To people, I play for the people that don't play. You, you have to be a guitar player almost to understand Eric, <laughs> you know, because yeah. he's so beautiful and so, so uh, di- uh, uh, intelligent and difficult to play. Yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to find that one note. You know? <laughs> well, I and think- I always, uh, I grew up really loving the Allman Brothers, Dwayne oh, yeah. and Dickie Betts, and oh, yeah. all that stuff. I mean, there's so many guitar players. So who, yeah. who was it more for you? Was it Dwayne or Dickie? Well, I always thought it was Dwayne back then because of the slide, and then the more I would listen to albums that I bought back then, but listen to them now, I go, "Oh, that was Dicky playing." I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that... I saw I saw him a bunch back then. I even saw ZZ open for the Auburn Brothers in Hollywood, I think, one time years ago, and and uh, yeah, I, I was lucky to have seen seen him with Dwayne and uh, and then man, it's good to be old because I saw Hendrix four times you know <laughs> I was with Stevie Vaughn one night and uh, real late one night and uh, I keep a picture of Hendrix's grave in my wallet uh, when I was on tour with Hart uh, we were in Washington and they or in, with Triumph somebody anyway the Hart Road crew showed me where Hendrix was buried in Renton, Washington. So I took a picture of the grave with one foot on either side of it. Stone, it's got a strat on it. So it's James Marshall Hendrix. And now, now I hear there's a huge, big monument to him. But then it was just a tiny little gravestone with uh, joints and guitar picks all around it. Mm-hmm. And I pulled it out of my wallet and showed it to Stevie. And he just, he got really quiet. This was after he was already big. And, uh, 
And he got really quiet and grabbed it out of my hand and just stared at it and got a little emotional, if I remember correctly. Like, you know, just, wow. And I, I didn't realize the, our age difference and that he'd never seen Hendrix. And mm. I saw him four times. First time I saw Hendrix in Dallas, or maybe it was Fort Worth, the chessmen opened for him. And I didn't know anybody back then. I was in I was in the 11th grade in high school in Brownwood, Texas, and skipped school to go see Hendrix. And, and the chessmen were, were, I found out later, years later, Jimmy Vaughn and Doyle Bramhall Sr., and and I remember them doing Georgia on my mind and Doyle singing it. And I was so proud to say one time I played with Doyle and so happy to say, yep, I saw you do Georgia on my mind, mm-hmm. opening for Hendrix. And, uh, so I'm, I'm glad I got to see all that. And, uh, you know, one of my students gave me a sticker that says, uh, I may be old, but I saw all the good bands. <laughs> 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 it is funny. <laughs> Not to say there's not good bands now. I mean, you know, it's just generations. Every generation has their favorites. It's true, and and it's and it's different now. It's I, I find that a lot of the newer folks that are coming up and playing, they're they're kind of rehashing. Uh, yeah, and they're and they're trying they're trying to find something, but I don't think they've quite found it yet. There's there's one or two guitar players out there that are really, you know, as far as new people. Uh, that are fascinating me and, and and like going wow okay he's he looks like he might be taking it somewhere else yeah you know? who, who would that be tell me uh, uh, Marcus King you know Marcus King no he's uh, the Marcus King band he's out of um, uh, Asheville North Carolina wow and um, yeah. yeah he's got a new re- he's got a record out now and he's got a record coming out in August that's actually being produced by Warren Haynes and, oh um, nice um and you know he's got that a little bit of that jam band thing going on. So there's a, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of the almonds in there, and there's a, but it's it's almost like as if 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 I could put it this way, it's it's like I told when I spoke to him, I told him I said, boy, I, I'm not sure if you're not the love child of Greg Allman and Janis Joplin <laughs> because he's well, got what a, what a great uh, <laughs> label to me, right? And yeah. he, and he plays and he plays ferociously and he and he and he fuses jazz and and funk and blues and rock all together and then every, every once in a while all of a sudden there's some reggae in there and it's like what the hell is going on here so yeah. it's it's he's he's a real interesting cat and I and I think he's 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 on to something as long as the right people are around him and don't influence him poorly yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So who turned you on to him? Uh, believe it or not, the internet. I just stumbled across him. Yeah. He showed up in my in my news feed, and I was like, "What in the world?" And so, Great. well, I'm, that's what I'm hoping will happen with this record. I, you know, you just don't know. I've done tons of blog stuff and getting great reviews, and all these. A lot of them are uh, like Baltimore Blues Society mm-hmm. and stuff that that uh, you know you go well. Who's going to see this? I mean, I'm in Vintage Guitar this month, which I'm really proud of. Right. And uh, but no, no big things in guitar magazines yet. And uh, you just have to wonder, you know. Once again, I'm trying to find our little niche. Mm-hmm. And uh, big problem, which you might be able to turn me on to somebody, is distribution. You know, We're trying to find a mm-hmm. label in, in Europe and, and here too, just to get the. I just want the record out there. You know. Yeah. Get it out there. Well, yeah, and, and it's a damn it's good record. It's on CD Baby and all those kind of things, but still, you know, it, it, we need to really get it out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got a question about another track, actually. Right. Um, she, she Makes Me Crazy. Okay. Now, is that's that, an interesting one. Yeah, that's an interesting tune. And um, so where did that all come from? Is that an old well, tune, too? Uh, or? My friend Christopher Cross wrote that, uh-huh. and he wrote it for me. Uh-huh. And uh, and people people just I don't know it kind of makes me upset that people don't know how good of a guitar player a rock guitar player Christopher Cross is. Yeah, he is a monster, but he chose a more songwriting path. But mm-hmm. when he rocks, man, he he does. So he wrote this song, and and we recorded it uh, with the same people that's that's on that track. That is the track we initially recorded, but we used it first. For that uh, all ATX thing, yeah. Uh, for Ham, 
the benefit uh, Health Alliance for Austin Musicians. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Marsha Ball and Malford Milligan sang it. Mm -hmm. And then I decided, I thought, well, I think I'll use it for me and, and have Malford come in and I'll just do the other part. So th their version was, you you make me crazy. Our version was, she makes me crazy. <laughs> but it's all Chris. He, he wrote it all and then did it at his home studio. And then we uh, retracted using his original guitar parts. He's on there. Mm -hmm. And then I did all the solos and then I beefed up the rhythm tracks. I call it messed it up a little bit you know, with, <laughs> with, 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 so it wouldn't be so clean and pure yeah. but it's an all ATX album that they did a year or two ago with, with them and it's still the, my same solos mm -hmm. I might have changed a few things around and we added a different uh, piano part and uh, yeah I'm glad you like that song it, it, it's just I don't know what it is I don't know what you'd call that just a song it's, it's a good one. It's definitely a good one. I, I was happy with the guitar tones on it. Uh, I think that was my PRS uh, on that one, and uh, just you know, still ballsy but but clean at the same. I mean, pristine at the mm -hmm. same time, mm -hmm. but with a little edge to it too. Well, I don't know what that means, but it, you know, <laughs> it's it, but it but it, it 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 was totally a common thread throughout the record, though. I mean, it still sounded like the right. rest of the record. That's what's great about it. Yeah, I, I was glad that I could say Christopher Cross wrote me a song. I mean, seven yeah. Grammys, that's not so bad. Not and, uh, bad at all. And, uh, and Chris actually sings some background on Drive-By Lover on a ZZ song, so, <laughs> you know, just tried to get some crazy stuff going on here. <laughs> so, what about the title track? Uh, that's just a lick that I'd had for years, but it hadn't gone anywhere. So it was in my files, and when it's time to do records, you just start looking for, go through the little uh, thirty-second vignettes of song ideas, mm -hmm. you know, and look through your book, and and uh, so there it was. And then it, I, in the studio, I, I I wrote it, finished it. So oh, I had nice. the initial lick, and we did a click track, and then I just started making up parts. And and put it together, then had, um, oh, Nico Leofont came out, a French drummer that has a studio here in town. He, he's he been playing with a lot of people. And uh, and uh, so he came out and did the drums, and and Chris Marsh played bass on it, uh, one of my all-time favorite bass players. So it sounds like it was a quick turnaround on that track. Wait, it does what now? It was a quick turnaround on that track. I'd have to see which part. Yeah. Well, no, I mean talking about you just you you put it together oh, real oh, quick. Oh, must be. I thought you meant a musical term. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just did it one day, and and uh, I mean I'd had the lick for years. Yeah, how, I always how liked it. I think the reason that song came about, I had the right tone, and that to me is everything. I was mm. using the '64 Vibraverb with a JBL in it, and it had this gigantic clean sound. Now, I've kind of gotten away from strats, but I brought out my, my 57 Mary Kay strat, which I dearly love, and uh, and it was just perfect for that song. And then I did the solo on my PRS and uh, combined several different tonal amps and tonal things, you know, just to get a, a different sound. And uh, I, I really liked the way it came out. Yeah, that's a cool track. I mean... Would you say that's the? Would you which track would you say is the track that you when you look back you go yeah that's it that's the one that got it all. Oh well, thanks. I, I would say that's certainly one of them. I really like "Just Walk Away" the way that came out with the sparseness of it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's hardly anything. I just went straight in with my Collings "City Limits" into a Grammatico amp and mm -hmm. no effects. We used uh, uh, some outboard gear on Pro Tools called a. Uh, Oh, it gave it kind of a univibe effect. This was a tremulator, I think. It had some funny name, you know. Mm -hmm. But to give it that stereo effect right in the very beginning chord, which was a chord that Billy showed me years ago, and I've, I've even forgot the name. It was G demolished. We call it, you know, some strange chord. But it fit, it made the song kind of jump from just a regular slow blues, which can get kind of tiring after a while. Mm -hmm. I think it gave it a a, a nice little. Like everybody that heard it at 
beginning when that chord came in, they went, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Instead of just a one, four, five turnaround. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm proud of that one as a songwriter and just the emotion of it. It reminds me a little bit of Please Call Home by the Home Brothers. Mm-hmm. I always love that song, their first trip. On mm-hmm. Idlewild South, yeah. Right, yeah. Second album. Yeah. yeah. So, so since we've been touching on gear a little bit, are you are you gearhead? Are you a gear junkie? Or uh, I am, but I don't know anything about it after all these years. So no, I couldn't tell you that the the capacitors in that '58 <laughs> Bandmaster. I know plenty of guys who can, and I don't work on anything. Right. Like cars, I just take them to the shop and say, I know what I want. Mm-hmm. I tell them guitar tech you know this is what I need but but I don't know how to do it and uh which is kind of a drawback I should learn a little bit well I I know how you feel I I know just enough to mess it up yeah (laughs) yeah I mean before a studio or a big gig I'll take them all in and say okay tweak them up yeah and uh but but yeah I'm not a gearhead I, I just sold at the guitar show a 71 50 watt Marshall head that you know the minute I sold it I went oh I wish I would have kept that <laughs> but but yeah I'm searching like crazy for the right sound and the right pedal board and everything so what what are you using as far as guitars right now what's your go to uh, well I, my favorite is still my my Black Beauty my Les Paul custom that my dad bought me new in early 69 oh wow so every mark on it is mine and I just love it but I don't take it out anymore except I'll take it to Dallas or I'll take it to Houston, but, you know, if we did any kind of road trip. I, in 97, when we played uh, Paris, Moscow, and Madrid, there was a place called the Chesterfield Cafe, and they had a, it was a really cool setup. And I took both my Les Paul and my 57 Strat on those gigs. They've got hard cases. And, and, and the whole time, I was just terrified. I was mm. worried. Mm. So I don't do that anymore. And... Uh, yeah, the first time I opened for ZZ was in Tallahassee, Florida, at a football stadium. And right when I walked, right before I walked on stage, Bill Ham, their manager, handed me a '58 three pickup Black Beauty. And uh, I mean, that thing could be worth a fortune now. A year later, in Dallas, somebody jumped up on stage and stole it. Oh. So you know something, that, something, that, and I never saw it again. And that was like seventy something. And uh, so. I just think, you know, something that meant that much to me, even if it was a crappy guitar and somebody gave it to you, that it meant a lot, and then somebody steals it. So I just, you know, I got really mentally burned on that and, and fed up with stuff. So I'm, I'm careful where I take them, you know. And uh, so, but, but what I really love now is Paul Reed Smith gave me a PRS in about 2009, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Man, it's my main guitar now. I just, I just love it. It's light and it. It just honks, and the vibrato bar works so beautiful on it. Uh, and uh, all the guitar techs in town that work on my stuff at different times, like Ed Reynolds or Dick Dubois uh, or Lauren Ellis at Straight, uh, they, they really have tweaked these things. Lately, I've uh, with arthritis in my hands, they just hurt all the time. So I've, tried, I've always used a 10 or 10 and a half, and I tuned down a half step. But I've been trying nines lately, mm-hmm. and uh, it sure feels good. But it, I have a little trouble with slide on it. So for the Threadgills gig last week, I put uh, nine and a half or put tens back on. If I didn't tune down a half step, you know, it probably wouldn't matter that much. But I, I like that. It's, it helps my voice, and I like the way it feels. Yeah, and it's it's good. But, but Billy uses sevens. You know, oh he, yeah. He leaves. He leaves the guitar here, and I, every now and then I'll, I play. Oh, the solo on "Strange Girl" is a Billy Bow with his sevens on it. Oh, I really? brought it out, and my God, it just makes you play so different. But it is really fun <laughs> uh, once you get used to it. I, I don't know if I could keep it in tune. And I know I couldn't play slide on it, but when you bend the E or B string or even G, it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your hands just keep. <laughs> Keeps going straight up over the guitar neck almost. <laughs> but Billy has a touch for it, and uh, it works fine for him. So yeah, well, I know I heard him tell that story one time about BB um, King telling him, you know, yeah. you're working yeah. too hard. Yeah, don't, you shouldn't have to work so hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I've got a set of his strings here. I'm going. No, 
I, I put him on a telly and it's fun. Yeah. You know, actually there are eights, but he's he's got sevens, he says. That's and crazy. He does. That's crazy. Well, yeah, I'm I'm saving the I'm I play nines and I'm saving the eights for when the arthritis really kicks in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe do you tune regular? Yeah, for, I used to yep. I used to tune a half step down too and then you know, I was having to transpose when I played with other people or try to get them to tune down. But I love yeah. that. I love how 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 much throatier everything sounds. It sounds terrible. yeah. Now on the record, I, some songs are half steps, others are regular. It just depends on uh, where I was that day. And vocally, some songs you can just sing better, mm-hmm. higher. Mm-hmm. But then other ones, I need. So live, I just keep it down. I just now sitting there somewhere was a weird one because I used. Uh, open G tuning with a capo on the fourth fret mm-hmm. and uh, for that dobro and then for the main lick of the song and so the other day at Thread, Threadgills we played it playing it live which was the first time I'd ever played it live I had to really study it and it was funny studying my own song like how did I do that what did I do there because the solo is regular tuning with a capo on the second fret so I had to try to figure out how to do the solo mm-hmm. with the capo still on the guitar in an open G tuning mm-hmm. And it was quite a, uh, it was fun to try to figure out. I mean, there's no way to do it exact, but who knows? I mean, nobody had ever heard the song anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but that's one of my favorites on the album. I'd, I'd say maybe that is my favorite song, depending on the day. Huh. 21st and then Sin. Sin in there just because all all the tones and everything that it goes through. Huh. And we tried to get that Robert Johnson, uh, John Lee Hooker feel in the beginning with the dobro. And then, yeah. Even though John Lee Hooker didn't play a dobro, but we tried to get a you know put the scratchy record on it and tried to take it back to the twenties mm-hmm. and then bring it into modern times. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a giant. It's a big song because it goes through so many changes and maybe too many. I don't know, but I, I still love it. No, I think it's just right. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, so, what are you traveling with us in regards to amps now? What are you What are you going on with? Well, I'm going through hell on that too. Uh, I've still got the Marshalls I bought in '71, and then in '86 or so, Billy gave me two JCM 800s. I used those the other night at Threadgills, mm-hmm. and then one of them blew up on me, and I just hooked it up again yesterday, and it was working fine. So you never know. Hmm. But in at one to one, I played. I used the, uh, a cabinet with some ancient uh, 70s uh, Celestians that I got from Eric Johnson who who uh, swore by them. So years ago I bought that and put them in a 212 Marshall cabinet. And I really like that sound. It's 100 watt but with 212s and it really wasn't all that loud at one to one. Although some people thought it was. But mainly I'm using a uh, if it's a bigger gig I'll definitely use the Marshall stuff. But like for we'll, we'll play coming up soon at Strange Brew and I'll probably use my deluxe mm-hmm. reissue which I used a lot on the album and man it just it honks it just it, and I've got an old old Celestian greenback in it uh, which gives it a low mid range kind of sound that I, I personally like mm-hmm. and then I, I bought a, a Vibroverb and had an old JPL 15 put in it which is it's it's just a gigantic rhythm sound. Mm-hmm. So, using both of those, I like the vibe reverb. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about selling it though, but uh, right now I'm, um, I, I took the JBL out to take it to the guitar show to sell, and I ended up wanting to keep it. So, I'll probably put the JBL back in, <laughs> back in, in time for Strange Brew. <laughs> and I mean, every day something different. And uh, it's driving me nuts. Well, I thought I'd kind of settled in by now. Yeah, I, it's amazing. I yeah, it's amazing how we 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 strive all the time for, you know, the the tone. Try, looking for that sound. It's it's so yeah. elusive. I, I find it comical a little bit since I'm older and I grew up with with all those guitar players listening to them anyway. Uh, that people are spending so much money on boutique hand-wired amps mm-hmm. that they say sounds just like a blah 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 sounds just like cream on you know Clapton on live cream live at the Fillmore it sounds just like I'm going you know just buy that amp you know? <laughs> but I don't know there's a lot, a lot of great stuff out there now I just can't afford it 
Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing that that's you know, and and some people try to uh, justify it with me when I talk to them, and they say, "Well, you know, you got to account for inflation. If if you know, if if this was 1955, you know, this amp would cost 350 dollars." Yeah, and I'm like, well, now hold on a second. <laughs> right. You know. I, I, yeah, well, Eric Eric Johnson could have anything he wants, and he still uses old Marshalls and yeah. plans and old Benders. And, yeah, and what a what a sound. Yeah, but but I do like a lot of the newer stuff. I just don't experiment with it enough. You mm-hmm. know? So so this week I'm you know I'm I've got a Supro that I'm trying out, which is pretty cool. Oh, one of those thunder, um, thunderbolts or what they are. Yeah, I, I don't know the the model. Uh, I've got it in my other part of the house. It's a, uh, but it's just got a volume, bass, and treble, right. and maybe a middle. And it's a cool amp. I use it at thread gills along with the Marshall. And uh, but it, it's a constant search for me, and I kind of wish it was. And I'd like to zero in on something. You know, I, I like consistency. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if you're on tour every night, you know, I, I want the same sound. Mm-hmm. But then, um, uh, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm experimenting every night. All right, but it's so difficult anyway. Depending on what room you're in, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the luxury of of consistency of, of, of a controlled environment. Is what I call it. Yeah. You know, like like the sound man knows. I don't have a regular sound man that's with me every night, and we don't even play every night anyway, unless we're doing a string of dates, and so. Yeah, um, I would like that. The knowing you just walk up there and you know what it's going to sound like. But you're right with the room. Like the other night at one to one, it sounded completely different than it did at Strange Brew. Oh yeah, yeah. And one to one, know it's going to. But <laughs> yeah, and one to one's a strange room anyway because you can't play. You really can't play loud in that room. No, it's, just, it's so open. And, yeah. Now Eric's going to play in there in a few weeks. I'm, or next week. I'm curious to see what it'll sound like with him but yeah, that will be but every time he's played with me at uh, Threadgills uh, he's brought a small little setup and it still sounded just like him mm-hmm. you know it, it's in his fingers you know? well yeah I mean even yeah. Billy says that Billy says it's meat meat on wa- on metal on wood is that what he says something like that <laughs> I don't know I haven't heard that one but that's good <laughs> so well, I can't tell you, Van, how great this was to sit here and talk with you about all this. This is well, so thanks. great. Thanks for helping me get the word out about the new album. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we really appreciate it. And let me know when this gets out to the world. And, yeah. And uh, you certainly had some great people on. And uh, by looking at your site, I'm so proud to be be in there with those, these guys. Well, like Andy Powell and Lance Lopez. Lance is just a monster player. And, and he loves you to and, death. A monster human being, and uh, uh, I, I want to do something with him one of these days. We were talking about writing songs and doing something together, and yeah. or just exchanging songs. You know, yeah, we're always yeah. looking for, for a good song. Yeah, get you on that supersonic blues machine thing he's got going. Uh, on. I haven't heard that yet. I can't wait to. Hear it's it. pretty darn good. It's pretty good. You know, matter of fact, I was telling between between that record, your record, and the new Paul Nelson record. Uh, my summer's in good shape. Oh, well, thanks for putting me in that stratosphere. Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. It's good stuff, I'm telling you. And, and what's great is there's such a commonality between the, those those records that it's like, you know, it's sort of like back in the day when you would when you would you would get these records and you'd be like, oh man, okay, cool. And you remember how you would stack the LPs on the on the uh, yeah, and you would say, okay, yeah. he, here's my afternoon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, you know, I've, uh, all the records I bought back then in high school, I still have, and the dates are on them. So when I, oh, wow. I was, I was with the uh, foreign exchange student in Brownwood, Texas. He was from Norway, and he, I was in, in the hot teenage band in town, you know, and we played football dances and stuff, and we were the Midnight Riders, and and he said uh, we were at the discount center, and. Uh, Gibson's Discount Center, and he said, he picked up an album and said, I saw this guy on, in Norway on TV, and he played with his teeth. You, you ought to get this. And it was the first Jimi Hendrix album, and that's how I got turned on to oh, something wow. that resonates with me to this very moment. Wow. You know, and 
I got to see the guy last year. He was in Austin for some conference, and I uh, thanked him for turning me on to Jimmy Hendrix. <laughs> you know, eventually it would have made its way to me, but sure. it was great. Uh, it's just a beautiful story for me to, to be able to recount. Like, thanks to a guy from Norway, yeah. he, changed, he changed my life. That's, that's so, good. well, thanks a million, and uh, let's keep in touch and uh, come see us. Yeah, I'll see you on the 24th over at uh, Strange Room. Wonderful. All right, man. Okay, man. Thanks a whole lot. All right. Take care. Good luck with Joe. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Like I said, uh, on uh, June 24th, I think that's Friday. Yeah, Friday, June 24th, you can go to uh, over right here in Austin, Texas, Strange Brew uh, Lounge and uh, see Van Wilk. I'm telling you, man, you will not be disappointed. You're going to want to practice after that. (laughs) Just saying. But uh, you won't be disappointed. He's great. Thank you, sir, for being on the show, and uh, can't wait to have you back. Uh, meantime, we got to get out of here, but uh, don't forget about all the other stuff I was talking about earlier. We got that giveaway for Midnight 30 Music Guitar Effects Pedal. Uh, it's the Adam Lopez Special. And uh, go to guitarradioshow.com for that. Go to the Contact GRS tab. You know what to do. Uh, and then put in there heartaches, time takes. And I uh, want to remind you also about Tips, Tricks, and Licks with Mr. Scott Gaylor. Um, at guitarradioshow.com it's uh, number four the rut buster and uh, and Adam's blog on Thursday morning which is on Harvey Thomas guitars uh, in the meantime folks take care of yourselves take care of each other please take care of each other and uh, and please buy it don't steal it we'll see you on the next episode of Guitar Radio Show peace I like this crowd already. GRS Productions. New episodes of Guitar Radio Show air every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbay, Player FM, Podomatic, and of course on guitarradioshow.com.